Good morning and welcome to Friday morning, November the 18th, 2022 on Winter Rise. Today we come to the end of year C, proper week 29, which is the reign of Christ Sunday, also known as the 24th Sunday after Pentecost. And on the Friday of the week, we'd like to take a look at the gospel passage, which comes to us from this week from the Revised Common Lectionary. And this week of the church's calendar year, and so we find ourselves, you guessed it, back in the gospel of Luke. We're going to jump ahead a couple of chapters. Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 43. Look at that, 23, 33, 43. How crazy is that? This day has so many possibilities because of that. All right, so let me read that passage. I've read a couple of points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us party morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 43. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They drew lots as a way of dividing up his clothes. The people were standing around watching, but the leaders sneered at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he really is the Christ sent from God, the Chosen One. Soldiers also mocked him. They came up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are really the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above his head was a notice of the formal charge against him. It read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Responding, the other criminal spoke harshly to him. Don't you fear God, seeing that you've also sentenced to die? We are rightly condemned, for we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what he did, for what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, I assure you that today you'll be with me in paradise. This is the word of God for us. One of the philosophers, uh, critics, or theologians that I have enjoyed throughout the years is a guy named René Girard, and uh, his major addition to the theological conversation was this idea of mimetic theory. And what he basically says, if you study literature, if you study sociology, you know that um, the advances in our world and also um, the the stepping back or the two steps forward, one step back uh, thing that happens in our world is because we rise and fall with how we mimic desires from one another. So as human beings, our primary mode of education is to mimic. We mimic language, uh, we mimic our movements, uh, we mimic uh, the ways that we group uh, together as we watch others. That's our primary mode. We don't have a, a big palette of instincts out of the box in the kit of being a human. So we add things to our lives by watching and uh, repeating those things that people do around us. Gerard said that we do this with desire as well. You see somebody coming up and uh, getting their own agency. They begin to look around and they want to know what's the best thing to do in the world. And so they begin to mimic the generation before them, whether that's to earn money or to be famous, or if it's to be brave and to uh, go out in battle and to be a warrior, or if that's to be kind and compassionate, or if it's to raise kids. I mean, these things are commonplace uh, in adult life, but they uh, people tend to sign up for those things. 
because they see that desire in the generation before them. And so people just mimic it, right? Um, and in fact, the skillless out of the family, there's a good chance if you bump into a skillin that they're going to be a farmer, they're going to be a teacher, they're going to be in the medical profession. I mean, that's just what a lot of them do. And it's kind of fun uh, to see that again and again. Not everybody does that, but uh, there's a fair bit that have. I had this professor in seminary. Uh, he traced his uh, lineage back to Ireland, where he's from. He's a, he was a, a church historian, so he took a sabbatical to study his own family history. And what he found is that uh, people in his family were either priests or they were drunks. And so that is not some sort of a slight um, on that part of the world, but that's just what he found as a pattern of behavior in his family. So we learn to desire things from people above us. And so these things come to a head when two groups of people desire the same thing. And so there's conflict and there's rivalry and there's envy. We see this um, three different times in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 4, with Cain and Abel, they both offer a sacrifice. God takes one and he disses the other. And so Cain desires to have his sacrifice, uh, you know, absorbed again or accepted again. And so the way that he goes about it is not to, I don't know, look into how he should do a better offering or whatever. We don't have a lot of details, but he kills his brother Abel because of his envy of his of um, Abel's fortune, right? We see this uh, with another set of brothers and uh, Jacob and Esau. We know from early on that they're going to be at rivalry and envy of one another and that the older is going to serve the younger, but that doesn't stop them from doing all these nasty things towards one another, particularly Jacob towards his older brother Esau. And so there's like this desire to have their affections of their father, right? And then you have this one more time with Joseph and his brothers, right? There's this envy that all the rest of the older brothers have with Joseph because Joseph seems to have like this favor, this partiality from their father. And so there is this jostling about how to get power back. And so they get rid of their brother in order for them to have the attention of their father once more. And so there's this, I don't know, the, I don't know this like wisdom that's on the, the surface of Genesis. As it's telling the story of the emerging of people groups, it has this also tale of be careful what you desire and be careful what you do when you don't get your desires, right? We see this swirling around the cross too. Um, Jesus is uh, got a, a rocket ship on a rocket ship of fame in Palestine, and uh, people don't like what he's saying. They don't like his fame. They don't like the attention that he's getting. They don't like his conclusions that he's making, particularly in that last week when he's in Jerusalem. And so his opponents, they put together a trial that's stacked against Jesus. They go from Herod, they go to Pilate. Both of them want to dismiss it. They both of them want to see Jesus go for the whole matter dropped, but it keeps being pressed and the crowd wins. And so Jesus is crucified. And then all this anger and animosity builds even around the cross, even to the point where a completely guilty criminal next to Jesus is also insulting him. And so we're taken aback when the criminal on the other side actually tries to silence the other criminal saying this, hey, listen, we're, we're both deserving what we are getting here. We're both guilty, but this man is innocent. And in some strange way, Pilate, Herod, and a brigand at the cross all agree, and they, they see it uh, plainly that Jesus is an innocent one, and he's being victimized, right? And so what does Jesus do? Like, Jesus has a beef here. I mean, Jesus can uh, find a way to retaliate because he is an, an innocent one, and he can seek justice, right? So Jesus, instead of raising his argument or replying insult with insult, Jesus remains quiet. And, and what he does, actually, instead, is he lifts an affirmation. This is the last line of this passage, and it's striking here. He says, I assure you today that you'll be with me in paradise. And so instead of picking sides, 
Jesus lists an affirmation in the midst of antagonism. And this is a sign of what Jesus and his kingdom is going to be. This is something that their, the early church began to do. And we begin to see that they carve out a different human existence. Instead of the pattern of desire, uh, conflict, rivalry, and envy, and then innocent lives are taken, and then it keeps on going again and again in retaliation, Jesus snaps the cycle in two. And instead of, uh, instead of accusing his enemies, he actually just lifts an affirmation and he puts blessing on somebody's life, right? And that might be the pattern of discipleship for us as the people of God, that instead of antagonism, that we should seek to bless and to affirm. And so as we go into this weekend, uh, one of the things that we can pray about and one of the things that we can actually do and put a feet to our prayers is that whenever we're in a moment where it's like it would be easy to jump into the dog pile and to raise uh, you know, some sort of a, a point of contention or argumentation against somebody, like maybe what would be best is to try the Jesus way, which is to lift a voice of affirmation. Um, we don't do this in like nauseating ways, which, um, you know, we try to like be so Pollyanna that we try to downplay anything that deserves to be brought into scrutiny, into evaluation. We don't have to, do, that's, we don't have to go to that extreme. But instead of, you know, getting into the fray of piling on insults, uh, cheap shots, belching out political points like it seems to be common in our culture, we're free to say, like, we're going to be people of affirmation. So I'm going to look for a creative uh, way to affirm those around me and to create a different perspective and a different environment around me. So with those things in mind, let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your rescue today, and we confess to you that we are caught within a struggle, a struggle to desiring things that are of your kingdom, but also desiring things that are against your kingdom. And so we plead with you once more to conform our minds, uh, to allow our character and our actions to resemble Christ. We thank you that as we enter into Reign of Christ Sunday, that we get to proclaim once more, along with all the people of God, that Jesus reigns and that he's a good king and he's a good God. And so this day, as we enter into schools and workplaces and communities, we pray that we'd see the reign of Christ. We'd, we would see the exaltation of the way of the kingdom, that we'd be able to celebrate and to bear witness and to point people towards how you're moving in the world around us. So set us apart and allow us to have the eyes to see your kingdom come and your will be done. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.